there is nothing more than a certificate of completion that comes from Tech Elevator. There's no fancy degree. It is a certificate of completion. And what's been astounding is hearing from our graduates and saying, I'm prouder of this piece of paper than I am of my <laughs> diploma. Uh, you know, and so the shifting mindset about learning is that, you know, when you align learning with the things that the world needs, like magical things happen. And that's been just so fun to see. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I am Jeffrey Stern, your resident cartographer here, and today we are mapping the future of education and of job placement. Our guest is Anthony Hughes, who <laughs> may actually have been one of the first Clevelanders I met in the midst of figuring out if I'd be moving to Cleveland. And uh, with that tangent aside, Anthony is the CEO and co-founder of Tech Elevator which was recently acquired by Stride back in November of 2020. Tech Elevator is an educational platform designed to support the rapid acquisition of software development skills that can lead to meaningful careers in the world of technology, proverbially a coding bootcamp. This was truly one of my favorite conversations so far. Anthony's passion for helping people realize their potential is infectious, and I hope you all take away from it as much as I have. Enjoy. Before we, we kind of dive into to Tech Elevator, I'd love if you could just provide a little perspective on, you know, if, if you look back on, on your career and the thread that kind of ties it together and you pull on that a little, what, what is the essence of that thread and, and what kind of brought you to the world of education and, and entrepreneurship? I think the thread that ties my career together, or the thread that I think is most evident is the desire to help people fulfill their potential. So where I felt most uh, engaged is when I'm helping other people and when I'm seeing people who I see enormous potential in and maybe they haven't the world hasn't rewarded them yet that I can act as an inflection point uh, in their lives and in some cases build programs around it and in other cases build businesses around it and that's you know where I find myself today. Hmm. That's probably a good segue to talk about Tech Elevator, which maybe is the embodiment of helping people realize their their potential, but <laughs> I'd love if you could just start with you know what what is Tech Elevator? So Tech Elevator Tech Elevator is an intensive technology training program uh, which identifies people who have kind of the natural cognitive ability that aligns with the field of software development. We identify them, we take them through an intensive fourteen week full-time reskilling program, teaching them technology skills, and then we place them into companies uh, to work as junior software developers. And those companies range from tech companies all the way through to, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 50 financial companies as well. What was ultimately the, the inspiration for Tech Elevator? How, how, did, it, how did you come to, to found this business? I've been in Cleveland since 2004. A couple different opportunities led me to uh, work at an organization in town that everybody knows and on this podcast called Jumpstart. Mm -hmm. um, and at Jumpstart, I was hired to run an entrepreneurial mentoring program. I was hired to start an entrepreneurial mentoring program. And the whole premise of this program was to take promising up and coming entrepreneurs and connect them with serially successful entrepreneurs. Today, it's 
It's known as the Burton D. Morgan Mentoring Program. And I had the great honor and privilege to found that company at Jumpstart. And so while I was there, you know, I had this, you know, it's just, I mean, it was a wonderful opportunity to understand and to dig into what makes uh, an ecosystem work. What are the components of an ecosystem? The financial components, the entrepreneurial components, the intellectual property components. And in our case, you know, we were very much focused on the talent component. And so these entrepreneurs would come to us, they would say, look, I've got this idea, it's really nascent. Can you connect me with people that can guide me through the process? And so we built the entrepreneurial mentoring program and we would help these folks build their team and get product market fit and raise capital. But when they went to scale, they stumbled because there wasn't the technology talent in the Cleveland ecosystem that they needed to grow their startups. And so that was intensely frustrating for me to see that happen. And the lack of digital literacy in Northeast Ohio was pretty extreme. I mean, you know, at the time we started Tech Elevator, there were 6,500 software developer positions advertised in the region and uh, less than 500 computer science degree degrees conferred in the whole of Northeast Ohio. So there was wow. just this massive supply demand mismatch and what's well known in kind of the tech world is that about 50% of the output of our computer science um, degrees in the region are actually leaving the region. So, I mean, just really paltry numbers in terms of like tech talent and computer science capabilities in the region. And so that was the problem that I saw. I'd been at Jumpstart for about three years at that time. You know, I was just really oriented towards kind of solving that problem. I had one of my mentors, a, a favorite of mine, Jenny Zamblin, who's the CEO of um, a company called Avantia, which is in Valley View. Uh, Jenny had just made an early uh, seed stage investment in a company down in Akron called the Software Craftsmanship Guild. And uh, Jenny said to me, look, I think there's something really special happening here. And they've just got their first class started. You know, we need somebody who can kind of run the business and build the business. You know, would you be willing to do that? And so... You know, I looked at the business. It looked really interesting to me. It definitely looked like it was solving the problem that I'd identified. And so I left Jumpstart to join the Software Craftsmanship Guild and to lead that as president. We grew up for about a year and then we ended up getting a, an offer. Uh, and, um, you know, it was, a, it was a fine offer, but, you know, we were really early on and there was so much potential in the business. And I tried to persuade the founder you know, look, trust me, stick with it. There's so much more opportunity here. But unfortunately, I, I, I couldn't persuade him. Um, well, unfortunately at the time, fortunately for me <laughs> later, I couldn't persuade him. And so we ended up selling the Software Craftsmanship Guild uh, business, which was my first foray into the world of coding boot camps. So in many ways, that was the genesis for Tech Elevator because I loved it. I mean, it was just so fun to be in this intersection of economic recovery of workforce of the demand for tech workers of the startup ecosystem of growing technology companies and frankly of people that just wanted to do better and be better in their lives and being able to say you know if you're willing to put in the energy and the hustle and the hard work we can help you with that transformation and so you know even though you know at that time there were now 68 coding boot camps operating in the country I said, damn it, I don't care if it's unoriginal. I just want to do that because it was just so fun. And so I just sort of, you know, went back and started Tech Elevator and so glad I did. And there's a there's a lot that, you know, there's a lot that happened in the starting story, but that's the, you know, that's the high level. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm curious as you as you began to 
start Tech Elevator, how much of the playbook from the software craftsmanship guild did you kind of leverage and, and carry with you? And how much was it ultimately a different path from that company before? Yeah, I mean, you know, the playbook of the Software Craftsmanship Guild wasn't that different to the playbook of the coding bootcamp industry, which is anywhere between a 10 and 16 week intensive full-time program designed to, you know, take people with no skills and get them into a job in, in technology. So our playbook at the Software Craftsmanship Guild was based on, you know, other practices that were taking place around the country that had started maybe three years before and when I went to start Tech Elevator, we had the framework of that playbook. Now, that playbook was good for maybe the first, you know, eight months. And then, you know, we had to start writing it, you know, writing it on our own. But I think the thing that we did really well when we started Tech Elevator, and this is, a, you know, an opportunity to bring up my co-founders, we founded Tech Elevator. There were three of us who founded Tech Elevator. So, you may know Aaron Cornell. He's a good sure. friend of mine. He's CFO at Actuals. There you go. <laughs> um, uh, so he's a he's a good well, you know, pre-COVID drinking buddy. Aaron had just exited from Explorus, and so you know he was you know kind of you know the financial guy. And then David Wintrick was the um, the architect at Pay.gov, and he'd been you know he built a system that processed at the time 150 billion dollars for the U.S. Treasury. And so, you know, when he agreed to join me, I had the technical founder that I needed to start, you know, Tech Elevator. And I've been the business development marketing guy, you know, really since the start. And so the things that we did really well were that we just took the caliber of instructors to another level. David, with his chops, like there really wasn't anybody really in the coding bootcamp industry that could claim to have built a system as significant as pay.gov. Right. And, you know, that's been our blueprint for instructors. You know, our instructors average 20 years experience. They are phenomenal human beings that take enormous pleasure guiding and mentoring and helping people kind of flourish. You know, and David was the first of those to come in. And, you know, that was sort of one sort of major thing that we said, we're just not going to compromise. And so while really most of the industry was sort of trying to find ways to lower the cost of their instruction by having people with less experience. You know, we just said like, look, learning to code is the sort of cognitive equivalent of climbing a mountain and it really matters who your trail guide is. And so at the core of Tech Elevator has to be a phenomenal technical education. The other thing that we did, which, you know, a lot of programs have now followed us, but, you know, I don't think have, have done to the extent or as well, was we said, you know, look, in, in the, the essence of what we're doing here is not just to teach people to code, it's to teach people to code so that they can get a job in technology as a software developer. And if you fundamentally recognize that the goal is getting a job as a software developer, then teaching people to code is just one part of that component. The other part, or the other component, I should say, is the soft skills, career readiness, and, and connections to industry that's so critical. And so we came out of the gate with really sort of a two parallel programs, a coding education and a career education or a career placement program. And that has been just game-changing for Tech Elevator. That's been the genesis of our outcomes and has, has really helped us sort of take the, take the lead in the industry from a performance standpoint. You know, speaking of outcomes, what are the kinds of you know results that you see of people going through the platform? And and on the flip side of that, you know who uh, when when you 
talk about realizing potential and a certain aptitude, who, who are the people that are, you know, coming to Tech Elevator and going through the program? So from an outcome standpoint, we've got a 95% graduation rate. Uh, it's on time. So in 14 weeks, we have a 92% job placement rate. It slipped a little bit. It was 94% before COVID, but it's a pretty spectacular number considering kind of the job market that we're in. And we have an average days to hire of 24 days to hire. And the average tech elevator student sees a $23,000 salary increase as a result of going through our program. So I'm incredibly proud of those numbers. It is like the essence of accountability. It's the essence of giving people a return on their investment and making education pay. And those numbers are published and audited published twice a year. And we're really proud of the role that we play in you know, trying to drive greater transparency in the industry and you know, so that consumers can actually make a choice. We're the only coding bootcamp in the state of Ohio that publishes with the industry standards group. So, so those are like, um, I'll stop banging that drum, but like, it's so That's important. extraordinary. Like, <laughs> the other thing is really like, I got back into this industry, you know, after the first run in, with the Software Guild, because I really truly believe in the transformational power of this industry, but it also has the risk of kind of bad actors slipping in, making claims about outcomes that just aren't published or audited. And so that's been a, a big thing for me is just to, sort of standards and transparency and various other things. In terms of like the profile of our students, it's delightful how varied their backgrounds are. So we've got students who come to us straight out of high school, We've got a student who was 65 when she graduated from the program. By way of background, educational background, you know, people with a GED all the way through to people with PhDs. We even had an MD come through the program. So it's so eclectic. You know, the, the sweet spot, I would say, is probably in that sort of 20 to 40 age range, maybe even, you know, even tighter, the 25 to 35 kind of age range. These are people who are, you know, they're really smart, they're curious, they're, you know, people that really enjoy learning. You know, they've, they've found themselves in a career typically uh, where they're just not feeling challenged. And, you know, they know that they're smarter than the work they're doing. They're, they know they can, they can do better, they can be better. And they just feel like they're just churn, they're churning, they're, they're treading water. And so, you know, they start to see, you know, maybe they have friends who did a computer science degree or, you know, some buddies that they meet at work who are in the IT department and they just sort of kind of say, hey, that looks fun. And they start to dig in and, you know, somehow or another, they come to, you know, find Tech Elevator and, and come through our program and, and, you know, lo and behold, they get to, to plug into a career in tech. You've introduced a few topics here that I want to kind of explore more at a, a macro level. And, and maybe I'll start with accountability, which is something that you mentioned as, as kind of a, the crux of, of what you're doing at, at Tech Elevator. And I'm not going to blanket throw the whole traditional college and university system under the rug here, but a little bit in that when you look at it, it's not particularly outcome driven um, in terms of job placement. And, and one of the things that I, I keep coming back to when I think about higher education is how it seems these days there's an unbundling of it uh, where in the same way that you had, you know, newspapers and the sports section became Twitter and dating became Bumble and, you know, all that, everything has its new part uh, in very much the same way education is kind of having that unbundling moment. And, you know, the goal of, of education, my brother's in, in college right now, right? It's like part of it is learning and critical thinking and 
part of it is social and part of it is signaling and, and part of it is supposed to be job placement. But the paradigm of, you know, go to college and get a good job, that the story of that is, I think, fading a bit. And so I'd love to get your perspective on, on that idea of the unbundling of the university and how you think about Tech Elevator in the context of, of really owning a specific value proposition of, of that. Yeah, it's really hard right now to justify the value of a university degree. Right. I mean, there are some yeah. universities and there are some MBAs, and but in aggregate, it's really hard to justify the cost of a university degree and the debt burden that higher education has put on individuals and on the nation overall, right? So like, when you think that, I believe that the cost of education has risen eight times faster than wage growth in the US uh, since like the late 80s, right? And so Education is a privilege, right? Enlightenment is a privilege, right? So there's a big argument around enlightenment. And I will say, like, and I would never trade my experience. I got to go to university for free, by the way. So that it's easy. It's an easier cost <laughs> equation <laughs> um, from the University of Edinburgh. And, and um, But, you know, I, I think if you can afford it, if you can afford to send your kids, if you can take the, the you know, the cost and, and afford it, then, you know, you should do it. Like if my daughter was, you know, 16 and, you know, thinking about what you want to do next, go to college, work out what you want to be. You have the luxury and the privilege to do that. For so many people, they don't, right? And they're coming out of degree, uh, they're coming out of universities with honestly like worthless degrees. And those degrees don't have any translation to the needs of the workforce, right? And so I think we just have kind of a, a moment of reckoning right now around just the value of a college degree. That doesn't mean that, you know, there, there isn't a place. I mean, I think like, you know, critical thinking, you know, the ability to sort of, you know, determine what's a fact and what's, you know, what's sure. not. Like, God, <laughs> we need that so badly right now. But, you know, what we do is we're not trying to displace university. I think our outcomes and our return on investment, you know, beg questions of the value and the return on investment of a university degree. But really what we're trying to do is be that sort of last mile training that actually it acts as that on-ramp into the workforce. You know, so I, I graduated with a degree in American studies. It was fascinating. It was hard. It was, you know, it was, it was a really enjoyable experience, but it was absolutely economically useless. Like no employer <laughs> has ever said in the history of the world that I'm not hiring them unless they have a degree in American studies, you know, like unless it's a like, you know, Department of American Studies. I don't know, right? So, um, you know, so for me, like I graduated from college and bumped around for six years. And if we're okay with that as a society that you have to bump around for six years before you finally find your place, then okay. But I don't think we should be. And particularly when you're coming from, you know, maybe you know, you're going first generation into college and your family doesn't have the means or can't support you, you need to plug in, you know, plug in and, and, and start earning right away. And that's where, you know, the sort of the Jeff Wiener sort of skills, not degrees mantra, you know, you know, kind of is really important. And so, yeah, I think unbundling is, is important. That's going to be a challenge for universities because, you know, the bundling is what makes them, you know, has, has made them survive and justify those, those costs. And, and tied to that, in some ways with that unbundling is also, you know, the OPM industry. And, you know, these are, you know, just massive middlemen organizations whose life is designed to sort of mark up, you know, mark up university, right? I mean, the cost of an online, the cost of a credit hour online is more expensive 
than the cost of a brick and mortar credit hour. And that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But it makes sense if you understand that there's somebody in the middle who's marking it up. And that's the, you know, that's the OPM, you know, industry. So anyway, I think it's an interesting <laughs> conundrum. I'm happy at the place that I'm in in the in the education spectrum. Yeah. One thing I want to double down on there is this idea that with what you're doing at Tech Elevator, it's not just about learning to code, but it's learning to code to get a job as a software developer. And I think what I want to explore there is, you know, my background was in computer science from an academic institution. And, and what you learn in that is very different than what you would, what I would learn going to Tech Elevator. So from that perspective, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on you know, like trade schools and apprenticeship type, like these alternative approaches to education that we don't really um, have, at least here in the U.S. And and how you think about, you know, maybe Tech Elevator from from that perspective as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's there's a need for more of it. To be honest with you, the perspective. I mean, I think the Germans have done apprenticeships really well. The UK is not too bad at bad at it either. You know, and certainly I think it's like, you know, there's there are professions, you know, HVAC technician, plumbers, various other that are pretty nicely well compensated professions that don't require, clearly don't require a college degree, but they do require sort of technical skills. And so I, I think, though, you know, electricians as well, those there's, there's a lot of opportunity essentially to work backwards from the opportunity uh, and the skills and, and knowledge that's required to do that. And so... I think we would do well to, to 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 have more sort of formalities around them. In our particular industry, I mean, you know, I think what we're proving is that you don't actually necessarily need any kind of formalized apprenticeship. There are some partners that we have that we train for that do it and they do a wonderful job. You know, some of it's just that comes down to the acceptance of employers as well. So, you know, oftentimes you know, we found ourselves in early conversations when we're first meeting a company where they just, they really feel they need that computer science degree. And that's, you know, that's the comfort that they can take, like that there's some kind of quality check involved. And it takes us a while to sort of break down that barrier. Listen, just hire one of our graduates, just see what they're capable of. But very quickly, we see that breakdown fast to the point where I've had some employers tell us that they have a strong preference for a tech elevator graduate over a computer science graduate. And and some of it's just really about like an entry level hire is hard work to hire, right? They need time to get up to speed. They take training six months before they're productive. You know, what we try and do at Tech Elevator is produce somebody that's valuable to their employer from day one. They're code ready. They're familiar with the tools. They're familiar with the development methodologies. They've got familiarity with, you know, Scrum and Agile practices, you know, so that they can they can make their their new boss's life easier, not harder for some period right, of time, right. you know. And so we've sort of taken a different, you know. We teach concepts of computer science that are relevant in their careers, but we don't dig into some really like esoteric sort of principles, but we very much focus on the practical skills that are going to see people be successful from, from day one. The other thing we teach our students is to, is to how, you know, we teach them how to learn. So fundamentally recognizing that what we teach you in 14 weeks pales in comparison to the the, the enormity of the information that you don't know, but your career trajectory will be defined by your appetite for learning. And let us give you some of the, the tools to support that appetite to continue to sort of grow, you know, your knowledge base and your skill sets. 
Yeah. When you brought up big companies, this came to me. Why is it that more of these large tech companies don't have their own internal, you know, very targeted and specific, you know, software development programs that kind of parallel or, you know, it would even be competitive to, to what you're doing at Tech Elevator. But I, I don't really see those. And I'm, I'm curious why that's the case. You know, I think it's not the case that they don't. You know, so one of the things that's been really interesting for us is we always thought that we would be a pure you know, consumer education business. And we end up, we've, we're now a consumer and an enterprise education business. So we have clients that are individuals who are reskilling themselves. And now we have clients who are companies who are reskilling their employees en masse. Mm. And so that's been a really exciting development over the past sort of couple of years that's been building momentum. And the genesis of it was that we had one very large um, financial institution that just said to us, look, you know, you guys are graduating people who you know, four months beforehand were baristas or Uber drivers or, you know, low-level sort of administrators. And they are keeping up with our computer science grads, in some cases, eclipsing them. You know, if you can do that with sort of Joe and Jane public, what can you do with our employees who are part of our organization and, and we don't have a place to, to take them in their careers? Could you run a test and could you reskill five people? And so we took five people and we reskilled them. They gave us non-technical people and we gave them back software developers. And now, you know, in that particular instance, it's a, you know, we've we've reskilled a few hundred employees for them. And we're seeing more and more of that happen. And what's been really exciting for us, because we're a very mission-driven company. So the mission of Tech Elevator is to elevate people, companies, and communities. And as it pertains to communities, like we really don't want to exacerbate the inequities that already exist in tech, that it is an overwhelmingly you know, white male field. And so what we've said is that the output of Tech Elevator should represent the communities that we serve. And we're doing better and better at that. But when we get to work with enterprise, with big companies and, and their priorities around you know, more inclusive paths to opportunity, we also get to drive that. And so we've seen mm-hmm. companies who are really focused on driving diversity in their, in their technology ranks give us diverse employees to reskill. And that's been super exciting for us to advance that part of our mission as well. So it's happening more and more. There's some you know, well-known case studies like Home Depot has this program called the Orange Method, where they're taking associates um, who are working like in their stores and reskilling them into software developers. There's a, a, a program that uh, Disney did called Code Rosie, taking female mm-hmm. employees, I think, from their theme parks and teaching them software development. So the, the companies that are really ahead of the curve, like they're doing some, some cool things. We hope to be making some announcements with some Cleveland companies coming up soon. If there are other companies listening, like we're all about it. You know, I think this is... This is a skill set that unlike a lot of kind of corporate education, this skill set pays dividends like really fast, right? So you can make an investment in somebody who might be a $40,000 sort of administrative assistant or whatever, and you can spend, you know, $10,000, $15,000 to reskill that person into a software developer, and you're still ahead of the market cost of a software developer, <laughs> right. you know? with the skill set that that person has. Now, of course, you have to give them a raise because now they've got a more valuable skill set. But, you know, in the case of like Home Depot, essentially what they do with their employees is they say, we'll pay for your training and then we're going to pay you kind of an apprenticeship wage until we recoup the costs of our training and then you're going to get 
their salary. So in some ways, they're, you know, they're just floating the training money to these employees anyway. So I think there's a lot of things that companies can do to be more creative. And there's a lot of things that our policymakers can do to incent companies. You know, I think the American economy has really been built on if a company doesn't have the skill set that they need, they tend to jettison people and try and hire them from outside. So when you talked about kind of European apprenticeship models, you know, the German economy as an example, like they very much sort of focus on developing their own employees. So, you know, we started to see that happening, you know, with a really tight labor market. And then obviously the pandemic hit. But the companies that sort of saw the fruits of those reskilling initiatives and upskilling initiatives, you know, they've kept they've kept going with it, and 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 that should be commended as well. So, yeah, hopefully um, we'll have some fun announcements to share with you guys soon. Yeah, stay tuned, everyone. I'll be tuning in myself. I want to build on the financial creativity for a moment. There's definitely been a well, I'd, I'd like to get your perspective on this trend, fad, uh, but but certainly growing interest in ISAs and these income share agreements, which represent really kind of a a flip in terms of incentives and, and structure to traditional loan and upfront payment paradigm. And I'd love if you could just kind of take us through, you know, what's the what's the case at Tech Elevator and how you are thinking about different uh, financial vehicles that that participants in Tech Elevator um, have have available to them? Yeah, I think the ISA is, it's a hot topic right now, good and bad. You know, before I talk about the ISA, I mean, you know, a big part of Tech Elevator when we started the program was how do we make this program as accessible as possible, right? How do we make sure that cognitive ability is the gating element and not the means to afford the program? And so, you know, we've gone through what is a fairly onerous and laborious process to get every tech elevator location registered with, you know, workforce training boards so that we can get access to government funds, workforce training funds to lower the barrier of entry for tech elevators. So, you know, we're really proud that we've been able to secure, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in support of our students to lower the barrier of entry. We launched a program called Represent Tech last summer which was a, a million-dollar commitment that we made for the next three years to give scholarships to historically underrepresented people. But at the end of the day, there's a lot more that, um, that you know, there's a lot of other people that, you know, need to find ways to, to, to get into our program. And, and, you know, the cost of our program is not inexpensive. It's $15,500. It's, we believe it, it, you know, it justifies the return on investment, but people don't have that money sitting around. And so, you know, we're the only program in the country that has a partnership with Sally May that we're really proud of because they vetted a ton of boot camps and chose to pilot with Tech Elevator, little Tech Elevator in Cleveland, Ohio. (laughs) And that's on the back of our outcomes. Uh, We have other sort of private lending partners. And then, you know, we've thought, you know, long and hard about this ISA stuff, you know. Yeah, I'm Um, sure. ISAs, you know, for everyone here, simply say, you know, you don't pay us now, you pay us when you get a job. The small print is a little bit more complicated than that. So in many cases, the ISA is still a loan. You are going to pay us when you are above a certain income threshold. There are cases, I mean, you would have to be under a certain income threshold for an extraordinarily long period of time. It would be very sad to be able to dodge, you know, repaying an ISA. It is still essentially a loan. And so uh, for those who have ISAs, they've had to sort of navigate the waters of regulatory because it's a, it's essentially considered to be a loan product. 
we have a partner now in Stride, a parent company, and a, and a sibling boot camp in Galvanize that offers an ISA that I actually believe is very student friendly. You only pay 10% of your income for 48 months. Uh, and I think it's got a cap of like 1.4 times tuition. So that's a relatively, I think that's, you know, if that's the, the methodology that you want to take as a student to fund, I think that's a, that's a fair one. It's not as good a deal as Sally May. But, you know, so for some people, that's, um, that's what they're more comfortable taking, and that gives them the courage to, to take the first step. So I think for everybody, there's a funding mechanism that makes the most sense. And I feel like it's our responsibility to sort of educate them about the particular directions and the total cost of those things. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing with the ISA is there are some bad actors out there, right? So they're representing, I mean, the messaging is like, is, if you're not somebody who's inclined to look at small print and increasingly as consumers, we just accept small print all the time because it's a user agreement on every app we sign up yeah, for. Click wrap, not click. Gonna, okay, I accept, you know, but the practical reality is like, you know, there are programs that have been whacked by regulators because they're, say, they're essentially giving people the impression that if this doesn't work out for you, you'd have to pay. And it is, it is that is not the case. You know, if you don't get a $100,000 job, then you walk away scot-free. That is absolutely not the case. And so it's leading people, you know, down a path and it's, sort of a, you know, it's under a false pretense. And at Tech Elevator, like, we fundamentally believe that, like, you got to be honest with the consumer, upfront, transparent. Here's what you're getting into. I mean, sometimes we actively sell against ourselves, right? Like, if somebody <laughs> thinks that all they have to do is show up and get on the Tech Elevator train kick their feet up, read a paper, order a snack, and then be taken to the Shangri-La destination of a job at Highland Software, it ain't happening. Like, you are in the engine room shoveling coal. Like, you're going to work your tail off, and we're going to let you know that, right? Because it's hard. And it's not, you know, you're not just, you know, you're, you don't just show up, you know? Like, it's you're going to work every day, to, to and you're going to earn it. Nothing, nothing great, you know, isn't earned. And, you know, so we sell against ourselves so people know, what they're getting into. And we just believe from a financial standpoint, like, you know, that's a moral obligation. You know, you you shouldn't be signing off on these things or accepting people's money, you know, if they're not a good fit for the program. And you certainly shouldn't be connecting them with, you know, products that could be damaging to them if they don't understand, you know, you know, what that product looks like going in. That's just who we are as a company. Yeah. I think it ties into your philosophy on accountability and transparency. But the, yeah, the financial vehicles are, are interesting because I, I just think about it from the perspective of, you know, colleges and you know, if you just, you take a, a proli- like a very outside glance at the student debt problem, like there, you know, there's, I don't think we've cracked the, the right financial vehicle yet that everyone really just understands. And it's, it's definitely interesting to, to see how ISAs are developing and, and just alternative financial vehicles for, well, for education and it's fascinating. Well, I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you some perspective on that. So, like, Mitch Daniels of Purdue is a very progressive president, does some really interesting things, and Purdue adopted an ISA, and you know, got a lot of press for the ISA. If you dig into that, the ISA is only offered, I believe, to juniors and seniors in the engineering department. Right? Like, if you go to Purdue and you decide to study American studies. There ain't no ISA for you because you're not <laughs> going to be able to pay it back. 
Right. right? It's about employability. Do, you want to do a computer science degree, <laughs> you know, and you can make it through those first two years, two, first two years of fucking around, you know, <laughs> we'll back you, baby. You know? So, you know, I mean, that's it. Like people are expecting yeah, yeah. a return. It's a return on investment. Sure. I mean, some of the boot camps in California were literally saying to people, we're backing you, we're with you all the way. And then they were signing people up for an ISA and turning around and selling it on for 60 cents on the dollar. And they'd raise their prices to accommodate that 60 cents on the dollar would be the old sticker price of the boot camp before the ISA. I mean, where is your moral compass, you know? So right. that's the thing that we have to navigate. Um, you know, we might do an ISA, but we'll only do it when it's good for students and we feel like it is like the, the fair and appropriate thing to do. Right. And it's just going to be one option. So Yeah. And the proof is in the pudding. That's why the outcomes are, are important when, when you think about these things. Um, so, so you mentioned Stride. I, I, pretty recently, there's been some some big developments for for Tech Elevator. Um, tell us about the acquisition. Yeah. So at the end of November, we announced that we will be part of the Stride family of companies. Stride, formerly K twelve Education, rebranded itself at the same time as the acquisition because they're really about the full educational journey, not K through twelve, but K through uh, grave, I guess. You know. Um, mm-hmm. And so Tech Elevator. And MedCert, a medical training company out of Michigan, were bought at the same time. Us in like IT skills, MedCert's in in healthcare, and part of that, you know, that the sort of the changing uh, or the shift in in the focus of the company. So yeah, we were acquired end of November. We're joining uh, Galvanize, which is the Galvanize and Hack Reactor brands. Uh, Hack Reactor has a great brand in the industry uh, around you know software engineering as well. And we're just really excited to be part of it. It's fun to be working with people that, you know, have been in the space for a lot longer than us. Like I tell you, like Hack Reactor was one of the brands that we really followed when we got started. They started the company in, mm. in 2012. And so it was really cool for David and I and the team to have our work sort of recognized by people that have been in the space and just knew what it took to build, you know, what we built and, and the outcomes that we've had. You know, we had been talking, David and I have been talking about this, gosh, kind of at the end of 2019, heading into 2020. We were launching our location in Philadelphia. And, you know, we were thinking, you know, a big part of us, when we actually back up, we had never intended when we started the company to do anything but a coding boot camp in Cleveland, Ohio. We didn't have <laughs> like global aspirations. We wanted to solve the problem we saw here. And so, you know, our expansion had been sort of fairly organic, you know, well, let's just, you know, see what happens in Columbus. And let's make sure that we don't like, you know, forever regret not expanding into Columbus because somebody else did. And then let's get on to Cincy and we like Pittsburgh. And so it's been this sort of fairly organic expansion as, as we've grown and we've built momentum. You know, we've just, you know, we're really convinced that the way that we approach this, the accountability we have towards the students, the commitment towards outcomes, that you know, that we're one of the good guys. And there are some other really outstanding players in the industry, but there are also some fairly shady, (laughs) you know, profiteering opportunists. And so we were thinking about this and saying like, look, you know, how are we really going to take Tech Elevator and do this at scale, right? And so you're going to have, you're having these conversations and, you know, one pathway to do that is, okay, we've got to raise a bunch of money. And so, you know, that was one thought process. Okay, you know, let's think about that. And, you know, with that comes, you know, dilution and changes of control and various other things. And, you know, we were exploring that idea. And then we were actually approached by 
uh, Harsh Patel, the CEO of, of Galvanize, um, who David sits on the, the board of the standards uh, group with. And he just said, hey, you know, we've just been bought by Stride and you know, I've always really admired what you guys uh, have been doing. Is there any chance you'd have any interest in in joining forces with us? And and honestly, initially, we we were not particularly interested, and we were like, you know, we'll we'll talk, but you know, we're we're, we're you know we're a, a, a really steady company. We've been growing at you know forty percent year on year. You know, this year we were on the Inc. Five Thousand as the sixteenth fastest growing education company in the in the nation and the fourth fastest growing company in Cleveland, Ohio, and 19th in, you know, <laughs> in the States. And yeah, we were just, we, we felt pretty good. But the more we thought about it, and the, you know, particularly as COVID was happening, by the way, we, we were fine during COVID. But the more we thought about it, you know, it really felt, felt to us like, look, if we want to amplify our impact and we want to have a meaningful, make a meaningful dent in the recovery of this country, not just educate and transform hundreds of lives, but thousands of lives like we can't do this alone you know on our with our current like you know capabilities we we've we either have to raise capital we have to partner to get bigger and you know the stride partnership just made a ton of sense they love our business they respect what we've achieved they said look we're not interested in you know interfering with what you're you're doing you know or changing your brand we want you just to to do that at greater scale and so for us and for the team like that's really compelling. That's really exciting because we're just like totally bought into this. And the opportunity to make impact on a national level is like so like exciting. And so, you know, just it's so compelling that it felt like the right thing to do. And it's been it's been great so far. Yeah, no, it's very exciting from uh, humble beginnings just here in Cleveland. I guess when you think about the future and the longer term vision and and the implications of the the scale that you have access to now through partnerships with Stride and just the the growth that you're on 10 years from now what what is it that you would like to to accomplish 10 years oh 10 years um gosh <laughs> looking back um, yeah i definitely i mean you know what would what would tech elevator look like 10 years from now i'd love to be driving through a town and i'd love to see a tech elevator you know sign illuminated on a cool old warehouse that you know <laughs> um is near a bus stop and accessible to people you know i think I think we have the opportunity, you know, we're in, we're in eight communities now, we're about to announce a ninth community that we're, we're supporting. I'd love to see us in 50 communities around the country. I'd love to see international, you know, international locations. I'd love to have a tech elevator in Edinburgh, Scotland. You know, that would be a, a personal joy for me to go back to my alma mater. So that's one thing. So, you know, graduating thousands and thousands of people a year, train, changing thousands and thousands of of lives. And when you look at that and you think about that vision, you know, the economic impact of that is huge. I mean, you know, we have, we started in 2015 in Cleveland. We have over 400 software developers working in the field of technology who knew no code before Tech Elevator, you know? Yeah. One of whom is that actual? Yeah, I know. How's he doing? <laughs> yeah, no, Annie, uh, she's, she's fantastic. Oh, she's, sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we've got, you know, these individuals have, you know, they've got $23 million of near-term earnings, more than they were making before. They collectively will make you know, $550 billion, a million dollars rather in lifetime earnings, they will see a $1.3 million increase from where they were before. And so, 
the opportunity to be that inflection point to change that trajectory in so many lives is so exciting. So, you know, that's that's a person a personal thing for me. It's very personal, and um, as an immigrant, like that's a cool thing to feel like. Uh, you know, I I and you know um, my team have been able to make that dent. So, and then the other thing is where you know we, we have you know essentially one product right now, but I think there's an opportunity. There's tons of opportunities in the field of technology that we can sort of we can build on and support people. Software development isn't necessarily the right field for everybody, but there are other fields in technology and growth industries that could be a really great fit. And you know, I'm excited to explore what those could be and, and you know, can you know diversify the portfolio of our products as well. That's an exciting vision. So as we, we kinda uh, wrap down here, I, I am curious, you know, in the business of helping people learn how to learn, what is in your reflections on on the last few years, what have you learned about learning? It doesn't stop and the more you enjoy it, the more effective it is, right? So you gotta make learning fun. I think, you know, we have this, there have been moments in my educational career, which have been pure drudgery and moments that have just felt like I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't learning. It was just, it was, it was fun. And so I think, you know, there is nothing more than a certificate of completion that comes from Tech Elevator. There's no fancy degree. It is a certificate of completion. And what's been astounding is hearing from our graduates and saying, I'm prouder of this piece of paper than I am of my (laughs) diploma. Uh, you know, and so the shifting mindset about learning is that, you know, when you align learning with the things that the world needs, like magical things happen. And that's been just so fun to see. The other thing that I would say that has been just the big kind of like eye-opener, and this happened, there was a, an incredible couple, Laurie and Kevin, she was they're both brilliant. She was, um, you know, she worked at a, as a massive therapist and just wasn't getting paid enough. And he was a truck driver and they loved their kids. And they like were literally doing shifts like parenting. They didn't even see each other. And she came to Tech Elevator first and got a job at a, in a local insurance company. And once she got settled, you know, he was able to quit his job and come to Tech Elevator and he ended up getting a job at the, the same insurance company. And so for the first time in years, they got to spend time together. They commuted into work together. They, you know, got to, they got, you know, they got to take their kids on paid vacations. And, you know, she's just been a wonderful person, uh, you know, and I just, I, you know, I see her at all the right times, you know, it's just a wonderful reaffirmation. But, you know, the realization that come from came from that was what we do is we, we sell control. <laughs> we sell We sell to people the ability to take control of their lives. That There are so many people in our economy that can get laid off or thrown on the trash heap. And we just saw this, you know, in the massive, massive, like, you know, just, you know, avalanche of job losses because of the pandemic. You know, 13 million Americans lost their jobs in the hospitality field in the month mm-hmm. of April last year. And less than 100,000 software developers lost their jobs and they bounced right back, right? And so when you have a skill set that has the value that software development has, you don't have to put up with bullshit because you can just move, right? And so many workers are just caught in this rat race. This like they're on the hamster wheel just taking bullshit. (laughs) And when you have a skill set as valuable as software development, 
you're in control. And I love that because I love our students. I love to see them and I love to watch how they've taken control of their lives. And that just gives me so much pleasure. Yeah, that's, that's powerful and, and inspiring. To wrap up, I'll, I'll bring it back here to, to Cleveland. Question uh, we're asking everyone is, as we paint a, a collective collage of, of people's uh, experience here in Cleveland is, what, what is your favorite hidden gem in the city? My favorite hidden gem in the city is a place that's near and dear to me called the Glass Bubble. The Glass Bubble is a, a little glass blowing a studio just by the West Side Market. And it's run by a guy called Mike Kaplan. And I used to live on Market Avenue. And so my Saturday mornings would usually involve me waking up with a hangover, going to the West Side Market, <laughs> grabbing it, negotiating for a bunch of vegetables and taking my bags over to the glass bubble and hanging out with Mike and Dave. And uh, they have a, have a chicken called Morty. I think they've had like 10 of these chickens <laughs> at this point. But like this chicken walks around this glass blowing studio and they're wonderful human beings. They're so interested in everyone and everything and so welcoming and it really uh, is just, I think, a wonderful symbol of the generous spirit of Cleveland and the creativity and the characters uh, that we have in this great town. So that's my uh, that's my hidden gem. Hopefully, it doesn't get you know. There's about you know room for six people to hang out <laughs> in that. Just, so don't don't storm it. <laughs> but it's a great it's a great place to visit. Yeah. Well, I I really appreciate you coming on, Anthony, and, and sharing your story and your your passion for for Tech Elevator is infectious. So thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a joy, and I'm looking forward to listening to more of these. So I appreciate you doing it. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So shoot us an email at layoftheland at upside.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland, at the Tegan, or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please email us or find us on Twitter and let us know. And if you love our show, please leave a review on iTunes. That goes a long way in helping us spread the word and continue to help bring high quality guests to the show. Taken Horton and Jeffrey Stern developed the Lay of the Land podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Founders Get Funds and its affiliates or actual and its affiliates or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment advice on this show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.